You're listening to Raw with Marty Gallagher, J.P. Bryce, and Jim Steele, brought to you by Iron Company. If you like our podcast, please share the link and give us a review. Today, we're discussing mind and athletics and mind and life. And with us here today is Dr. Christian Conti uh, to help sort all this out. Dr. Conti is a licensed professional counselor and a world-renowned anger management specialist who works with the violent criminals to professional athletes. He is the creator of The Yield Theory, the author of eight books, including his latest, Walking Through Anger. Welcome, Dr. Conti. Thank you. Glad to be here with you guys. Thanks for coming on, man. This is going to be a good uh, conversation here. Like I was saying before, we probably got 50 hours of content here. We'll have to cut it down to hopefully an hour and a half. Marty. Yeah, brother. I'm introducing uh, you. Interject. Yes, thank you. Say thank something. You, thank you, thank you. Uh, yeah, we were uh, put in touch with um, Doc, as our friend John Wetzel called him, by John Wetzel, who is a <clears throat> heavy hitter in our social circles. And, and John said that this, this, this was the guy that... Um, Chris had had the real chops in the real world, and you know not only walked the talk to talk, which everybody does in his world, but he also walked the walk, and he was dealing with everybody from um, lifers to Ray Lewis, you know. And uh, John throws compliments around like they're manhole covers. So, uh, as soon as we got in touch, in fact, we had uh, we had Christian come on down, and it was just uh, Jimmy was here, yeah, Chuck, Chuck Miller, Donnie Berry, you know, and uh, just um, you know, it's like we have a, we have a lot of these Steel and I these deja vu all over again experiences where you meet somebody and it's just sort of like, well, yeah, it's like if you've known them for fifteen years. So yeah. that was the kind of easy relationship we had. And again, this subject uh, is one that I, I've been actively engaged in mental manipulation for improved sports performance since really 1960, what, four, 65. Yeah. When I started reading John, John McCallum and he's yeah. talking about Russian auto-suggestion. And yeah, I yeah. did it. I mean, it was no problem for me. It was like, yeah, let's go. And I was an imaginative young boy, and it was an easy transition. So I know we want to talk about sports performance and the mind, but also we want to talk about real-world mind, right? So we'll hand the ball off to Dr. Chris. Yeah, so first of all, I'm grateful to be here with you guys. It is. It was natural. It's kind of just uh... – it's one of those things when you meet your tribe, it just, we kind of just flowed and it was just seemed normal. Like I've known you for a long time. I, I you know, we can, we're going to hit on so many, I think different areas. Um, but you hit, you talked about that mental aspect and you're not going anywhere without the mental game. Like I can see some of the best talent in the world and they can go South really quickly if they don't have a strong mental uh, game. Yeah. So it's, it's more than just your performance too. It's the way you handle yourself in life. I don't think that it's complex and I'm excited to share that with and talk about that today. I don't think it's complex. I mean, the Zen of, of 
performance is simple. It's simple to understand. However, as you all know, it, you got to do it. So it's not enough just to know it. You got to actually live it. Yeah. Jimmy, just real quick. They, they have this phrase about uh, Texas Hold'em. Takes five minutes to learn and a lifetime to master. That's awesome. Yeah. That's it. It's like squatting, Marty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't take long. You think you got it. And then each time you squat, you learn something new. Um, yeah. It was interesting, Christian, how you just said that it's life and athletics and how it's so intertwined on the way you handle yourself and handle adversity in life, right? And, and how it transfers over into now you're faced with something in, in athletics that you have to handle and overcome. And it works both ways. Like if you learn how to handle adversity, it's fourth and one, you know, you're exhausted, you know, you're, you're the offensive guard going against this All-American kid and you, you get down that stance and you can handle that situation better and you blow him off the ball and that kind of stuff. That transfers over into, you know, if I'm in life and a situation comes up, it could be a big sales. I can go back, sale or something, go back and say, hey, man, you remember that time on fourth and one when I handled that? Now I can handle this, you know. Yeah, talk about I, that all no, I agree. I, and I've said many times before, too, you know, as a, as a longtime lifter and establishing that that mental uh, work ethic and, um, you know, um, um, self. Um, what am I trying to say? Self-motivation, um, you know. That that has transferred over. Now, I started lifting way young, like when you guys did at age 14 and all that. And as I kind of, you know, built onto that and became more and more involved and more defined and just dedicated to uh, resistance training, you know, as I got older and I actually started working and got into business, I have been able to transfer so much of what I've learned mentally and physically in the gym over the, yeah. the years to my business and apply that work ethic to my business to be successful. Whereas had I not been involved in uh, resistance training for so many years and kind of learned all that mentally and got that drive going and that dedication and passion, I don't know what I would have done. It would have been a lot different. I think I wouldn't have been, uh, probably half successful is, is what I've become from what I've learned and, and, uh, just grown, uh, as a, a person from that experience. I can give you an example that could be a kind of a quick summary of it. So I do this exercise. I do a lot of work with athletic teams, work with some of the best football programs in the country. I'm in college. And then I do some work with, um, NBA teams. And when I'm talking to athletes, I, I have them to try to explain what self-talk does. Cause we all speak to ourselves, right? We all talk. Sometimes we talk back out loud. That's cool. But we all speak to ourselves. As a matter of fact, we have a running internal dialogue of between anywhere between 50 and 70,000 thoughts a day. And, and the fancy part of the brain is called the default mode network. But here's what happens. What we say to ourselves impacts how we experience life. So I have young people do this exercise where I tell them to stand in front of a curl bar and take a weight that you could do 10 times fairly easily. And then I tell them to pay attention. I want them to do the exercise in this exact order. Because when I was young, I messed up and did the order wrong. So I have them do it in this order. I say, the first time I want you to do it, I want you to look at that weight that you know you can do 10 times. And I want you to say to yourself, I'm weak. 
I'm weak. This, I suck. I, this is way too heavy. I can't do this. I, I can't do it. It's too hard. I don't want to do this. And then I want you to get up there and curl the weight 10 times. I want you to set it down, shake it out, step away, take a moment, step away. The order is important. And then I want you to say to yourself, um, I'm strong. I'm a beast. I'm a beast. I'm a warrior. This is lightweight, lightweight, lightweight. Step up and curl it 10 times. And all I ask you to do is do that exercise and tell me your response from that. And for all the years I've been doing that, I get overwhelmingly quick buy-in from people because they go, oh crap, like that actually works. Yes. Now, if that works when you're lifting weights, imagine what you're doing to yourself all day long when you walk through your day going, I can't believe this long line's happening to me. I can't believe I didn't get this or that. That's a good point. <laughs> so it's powerful. And you see the strength of the mind. You said, uh, you know, I, uh, Christian, I watched one of your videos and you were talking about, and, and anybody that wants to check out Christian on YouTube, just um, check out Dr. Christian Conte, but he's got a lot of uh, useful, like motivational short videos that are like five minutes long. And so I wanted to check out a few of them. And one of the interesting things that you said was the phrase, uh, with my luck, right? Uh. And that always, uh, we always make a negative out of that. And you said, well, what if you turn that into a positive and say something like, you know, with my luck, I'll probably have a great day today, something like that. So that's useful too. That applies to this. It's, that's it though, but that's exactly it. Think about that. How many times do people, we get to write our own narrative of how we experience life. We get to write it. You know, when Marty, we talked about um, when I was there with you guys, you had talked about when you were young, visualizing, you know, this is a championship, you know, here it is the strongest. And I, it gave me chills when you talked about that, because here, this was the first time we were meeting, yet yeah. that's what I would do. I, when I was growing up, I would visualize myself. Here he is, the world champion about to do this. <laughs> and Cinderella, Cinderella boy, tears in his eyes. <laughs> I, you know, I heard Conor McGregor say once when they asked him how a victory felt, he said, felt like it did the thousand times I visualized it in my head. Yeah. Like, yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And, and what did exactly. he just actually, he's just, he's just actualizing the deep fantasy. We all have the, you know, the, uh, they had a great movie back in my father's era. It was called the secret life of Walter Mitty. And it was just basically acting out a, a normal person's fantasies that we all have this you walk through life so we we, we all have that dual world <clears throat> and it's interesting because when you go to the eastern train of thought their whole in western psychology is you think your way into in, improved performance in eastern meditative strategies they say no you think less or you think not at all to attain optimal athletic performance that's it i mean they call it the zone or the state of flow whatever you want to call it it's presence it's when your mind and body are operating as one so there's not thought i mean you, you're not thinking i'm going to you know if you're in basketball i'm going to raise my elbows above my chest and going to snap my wrist and fall you don't think that you do it and you do it so much. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's fascinating. Let me highlight before we forget, before we pass it over that with my luck, because 
my wife was rereading Wayne Dyer and she came across that a few weeks back and she brought it to my daughter and me. Are, and we, are you, a, are you a fan? Oh yeah. I mean, okay. I'm a fan of wisdom. If okay. I can find wisdom, I'm a fan of wisdom. Okay. And, um, and I, and I, so anyway, so she said the statement itself, I, I thought was excellent. So I said, she said, why do we say with my luck and something negative? So we started doing this. Our daughter was just, she can integrate stuff, right? Our daughter can practice this stuff. And she came home from school and said, with my luck, you know, things are going to get better. And then it just happened. So we've been doing it. So I shared a video about that. And I'd love for the listeners to try that. Start saying that with my luck, things are going to get real good, real, real fast for me and watch the difference it makes. Marty, I think that's a, a good, a, a good, positive, easy to do thing to just interject throughout your day just once in a while. You know, it's, it's, it doesn't take much effort at all. And then you're you're like seeding your day with little notes of, of positivity. And, you know, if you can make a habit of that, I think you're less likely to think negatively throughout the day. Yeah. Let, let me, Marty, let me ask you a question. When you were going for a big lift, let's say, you know, you're going to squat over 700 pounds. What kind of talk did you use? What did you say to yourself? Minimum. I'd, I'd use music to stay in the zone. I'd want to take myself away from whatever backstage activity. If yeah. you compete in Europe, it's so confusing because they don't speak English, man. They don't speak English backstage. Right. I mean, I'm saying it could and, be even an, even in a gym. And you were let, going let me, for, let, you know. let, well, let me finish. And I'll tell you exactly what I use. Okay. It's, it's, it's all cued to music. Okay. Because, but, but by putting the headphones on, you do a couple of things simultaneously. Number one, you seize control of the audio environment. And number two, it's hard to strike up a conversation with somebody wearing headphones. Right. Right. Yeah. And I don't want any damn conversations when I'm backstage at a competition. I want a coach to look at me and go, hold his hand up and hail the five, which means there are five lifters ahead of you. Great. I'm going to stay in my zone. I've already done my warm-ups. They'll tell me when to do a warm-up. I'll take my phones off. I'll do the warm-up. Get back under my head. I'm getting fired up right now just talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, my, I get a little adrenaline, Joel, right? Right yeah. now. I mean, it's like, oh, oh, yeah, right. This is exactly what I do. And then it, you, you don't, when, the higher up you get, the fewer cues you want, right? You, a lot of, bah, 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 bah. Yeah, if, you, yeah. if you're too talky, by the time the competition starts, you want to take a nap. Yeah. You can do too much visualization and particularly visualizations that are so intense that you shoot off adrenaline and, mm -hmm. and cause a endorphin. Yeah. And you're just thinking about it on the car ride over to the gym. It's like, Oh God, don't do that. You only got a finite amount. Right. Yes. So like I said, even now, just, just talking about it. I, I, I'm so conditioned. I've done it for so long that like oh. uh, Cassidy used to take three breaths. He go, and he, the specific way, I want to imitate the way he breathed. But on the third breath, he'd say, look at this. And he'd hold his arms up. And all the hairs on his arms would be standing straight up. And he'd have goose pimples all over his arms. It was an outward manifestation of an inward, super psych, concentrated mental state. Yeah. Was he able to do that without music? Yeah. Because I, yeah. I can get he, that way. And he always, he always criticized me 
Well, I wouldn't say that he criticized. Uh, he felt that he should do it without music, but I'm a musician. That's what I use. That's what I am. That's what I do. That's sure. what gets me. And I want to get into private Idaho. What? Was the last bit? Centered, isolated, private yeah. Idaho. Oh, your own private Idaho. Oh, I got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was trying to think because, you know, and, and Christian, you've been a college athlete and all that. When you were in lifting with your teammates and when I was coaching and then lifting with my teammates, we use a lot of, <clears throat> I don't think it's, it's between positive and getting fired up talk and, and sort of negative. Like, Hey man, you gonna let that weight beat you. You're, you know, don't be a, you know what? And yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it was, it was exhortations, but they weren't like, it wasn't always very positive. It wasn't always like, you're the best man. You can do it. You're strong. It always be like, get this damn thing, man. Quit messing man. around with this. You know what I mean? Um, man up, man up. That kind of, oh, we'd be saying all, that all. Yeah, Christian, what about the negative psych techniques that really, Jim uses? It's like it's not negative. It's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's not cheesy. It's not cheesy. Fine right. enough, that's for sure. It, it gets yeah, you're inciting. Yeah, yes. you're inciting. You're inciting. You're inciting. Because we know how much adrenaline it takes. and You're inciting and, violence within your own head. And everybody around yes, yes, is, yes, is exactly. doing everybody around you is doing that max with you, you know? So everybody's right. excited. Everybody's, uh, it's, it's just a magic, magic, but it's very, uh, uh come on, that's man, also the, the group, the group effort to the tribal thing, right? Everyone's looking at you. Oh my God, that takes yeah. your game to the next level. That's why that's what happens with us every Sunday. Part of the reason our training no sessions are so good is because you have other if you lift in front of people whose opinions matter to you, you up your game. I've told this story before, I think, uh, but I would have a kid miss a lift. Let's say he's squatting 500 for the first time. I know that he could get it, but he got scared, right? He got scared, you know? So like my former assistant, Brett Crossan would say, you ain't weak. You just scared, you know? And I, it, it's a thing that happens. So I would bring everybody around. I'd bring all 100, 100 kids around and I would be like, yo, Bobby can't, uh, he did 475 for three last week, but he can't seem to get 500 today. I don't know why. So uh, we're going to try this again. And, you know, uh, I'm going to bring you guys around, you know, blah, 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 whole thing. So they'd be like, yeah, Bobby, all 100 but, guys but, going. But, they, but they, they hadn't done it. They hadn't uh, circled around on the previous attempt. The no, previous it was event. just this. I'd bring everybody around. And then, I'd, and then he'd crush it. You know, with with his hundred teammates yelling, and then I'd be like, "That's amazing! <laughs> your body got that much stronger in five minutes." Oh, maybe it wasn't your body; maybe it was your mind. Ooh. So I want you to go into every effort, just like all your teammates are standing around you, just like there's that kind of uh, excitement and the teammates cheering you on and getting you ready. You know. Uh, you, could use, you, could use a phrase. you could use a phrase like uh i like what marty said about inciting i'd say inciting right. adrenaline yeah yeah why not incite that adrenaline in yourself even if your team's not there i can tell you a powerful anecdotal experience that was kind of changing to be a part of so i specialize in working with people could being that were convicted of violent crimes and i had this center up in south lake tahoe california where these guys, once they committed a violent crime, went to prison or jail, when they got out, they were mandated to 52 weeks of anger management. So you can imagine how angry these guys were in my groups. 
but uh, the groups were pretty cool because the guys would end up graduating groups. They'd come back voluntarily afterward because we gave them real life stuff. Well, one time I did, uh, I looked at uh, muscle testing and I did this experiment with them where, are you guys familiar with the concept of muscle testing? In, in what no. regard? Like in terms of chiropractic work, they'll do it. They'll might, oh, say, sure. they might have you hold a, a, right. a an apple or something and put your arm up and they'll push your arm down while you're holding right. the apple right. versus hand you a pack of cigarettes and push your arm down. And what it does is it kind of is an indicator of your body's intelligence, whether you buy into it or not. Let me tell you what the experience was. So I said to the guys, I was talking about this experience and I said, and I'm a skeptic. I'm a, I'm a big skeptic of everything, not just other people, not just intellectual stuff, but my own ego, my own ideas. I'm skeptical of them. So I said to these guys, if you want to try this, I had 35 guys in a room. So you want to try this? Let's try it. Let's try it out. So first of all, I took a guy who thought it was all BS and he was the first guy. He said, nah, this is a bunch of BS. So I did it with him. I had him raise his arm. He stood st straight, raised his arm straight up to the side. And then I said, just for a test, I'm going to push down, try to keep your arm up. And I just got a baseline of what his arm was. And then I had him, I said, I want you to think of the most, take a minute, not, he didn't know what was going to happen. I said, think of the most embarrassing moment of your life, okay? And I really want you to think about it. And you could tell his wheels were spinning. I said, you don't have to share it out loud. Just think about it. Hold that thought. And as he's thinking about it, I just push his arm a little bit. And his arm goes fly, flying down to his side. And I said, okay, let's shake that out. I want you to think of the strongest moment of your life, like when you were the baddest dude around, like give it to me. And this is a big, strong guy. And uh, so he starts thinking about it. I go to push his arm down and there wasn't, I could barely push it down. So I said, okay, now I want to try this. Let's just try this out. I had him turn around. So I hope this visual works if people can't see this, but I had him turn around facing away from the other men. So there's 30 other men facing him. He's faced away from them. And I said, what I'm going to do is this. When he puts his hand up, I'm either going to put a thumbs up behind his back in which case I want you to think all positive things like this dude's awesome. He's strong. He's a bad dude. Or I'm going to put a thumbs down behind his back. So he couldn't see it. The volunteer couldn't see it. And I said, when I put the thumbs down, I want you to think this dude's weak. He's punk. He's, 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 he's so weak. And I said, let's try this out. And I would try different things. And time and again, when the entire group was thinking the strong thoughts, his arm was tougher to pull down. Mm -hmm. and I repeated that several times. Again, it's anecdotal. What do you attribute that to? I think that there is a, and there's an energy about us. I really do believe there's an energy about us. And if we constantly put forth powerful energy, look, you can pick it up on it when somebody comes up to you. You don't even have to wait till they say anything. You can tell. There's a part of your brain called mirror neurons that are picking up on their energy before they do anything, before yeah. they say anything. Yes, yes. I told you that story. My mom, she's 89 now. She had, she was a teacher, an English teacher, Duval High School, Marty. Duval. And, uh, and she went to a speech with, uh, well, they, they said, oh, the senator's coming in. This is in the early 60s, I guess, late 50s. Senator's coming in and talk to you about education and how they're going to fix education or what they're going to do. And it was John F. Kennedy. And she said that when he walked in the room, there was like this energy coming off of him and she had had no idea who he was mm. but she said he nobody even cared what he said <laughs> he was so electric and so and and made such a uh you know the, a connection with the crowd and then yeah. she said years later 
now this is not a political thing, so no, nobody get excited. Al Gore came in and she said there was no energy whatsoever <laughs> in the room. She said the difference, <laughs> and then she knew right then, you know, there's a, you know, that one, one is the Mr. Uh, Charisma, you know. Clinton would have lit it up. <laughs> Christian. Yeah, but isn't that interesting? But you're right about that, man. It's like, you know. There's a term for that, though. There's a term it's an for aura, that. Because aura. Heard, you have an aura about yourself. Cool. You know? Charisma. But, but I've, heard, uh, I've heard on these late night radio, I used to drive a truck, so I'd listen to all these weird radio shows at night, and they would have, um, what is it? Remote, remote, is it remote viewing um, where everybody, the, the host says, okay, everybody out in the audience, think positive thoughts or think, I think one time a guy was trying to get everybody to stop this watch that he wanted everybody to think about stopping the hands from going around on this watch. And I, I don't remember if it worked or not, but there's a thing to that where, you know, it's like you can put all together, get together and, and think about positive thoughts and healing someone or, you know, doing different yeah. things. Yeah. And look, I think here's the deal. Like even if the most skeptical person says, oh, it's a bunch of hogwash. OK, maybe it is. But I have this question for, for somebody. You have an opportunity to choose between sitting around thinking everything sucks, everything's terrible, nothing works, everything's a bunch of BS, or sit in your mind and think, you know what, there's some pretty awesome stuff. I'm powerful. I have a lot of energy. I can impact this world in a great way. And at the end of the day, how you live in your internal world is up to you. You get to choose that. Yeah. Um, but I do think that there's contagiousness to energy. There's contagiousness. Like and, and poor energy. You know, if you think about it, I coached college football for a long time. There'd be a kid with tons of talent and his attitude would be bringing everybody down. Oh, the coach is this and I don't play enough and this and that. And we'd be like, that kid's a cancer. And we'd get rid of that kid because yeah. he would bring everybody down. One kid, one yeah. bad apple, you know. But that's uh, it. And, it's, it's and consequently, you have a leader like you know, a Lawrence Taylor, a Joe Montana, uh, you know, uh, these, these Ray kids Lewis. today. Ray Lewis. Yeah. Ray Lewis. Yeah. And that kind of stuff is contagious also. I mean, it Christian, seems so why, cut and Christian, dry. Why, Christian, why don't you tell us a little bit about your work with Ray Lewis? So I met Ray originally. We did uh, right after he retired, we did a television show on spike network called coaching bad, where we took, eight coaches, eight or nine coaches from all over the country who kind of screamed at little kids and mm. weren't very effective. And, and so we took them, we taught them a better path, right? And I'm anger management specialist. He's a great motivator. So we got, we connected on that show and that was a lot of fun. And matter of fact, talk about the energy and, and lifting with somebody. First time I lifted with Ray. So here I am lifting with Ray Lewis. I said, and I had visualized this. I visualized this before I met him. I would listen to some YouTube videos of people fired up motivation. And one day my wife and I found this one with, uh, with Ray Lewis, his voice. And I was like, this guy's phenomenal. And I would listen to it all the time. This is before I got a call to say, Hey, you want to be a co-host? Ray Lewis is the other host. Um, so I thought that was fantastic. So one day I'm sitting there lifting with him, everything I'd visualized. So he does this workout and, uh, and the one part of the workout had were 22 reps and I was on like, get to the 18th rep, 19th rep. I hit 20 and he said, and I barely could move. I couldn't get the weight up. So he says, take your, take your time, doc. So I sit up with the weight and I went to put it down and he looked at me and said, what are you doing? 
And I said, you should take your time. He said, you got two more reps, doc. <laughs> I sat back. I said, I'll get those two reps. And I got those two reps real quick. <laughs> That's great. That, that energy is powerful, but he's amazing. His energy is, you can feel his energy um, because he lives what he does. He works out constantly yeah. and he leads by example with that stuff. Well, he's a tribal leader. Men, men pick their own leaders. Um, yeah, but he's, he's, he's an obvious uh, combination of uh, incredible genetics, incredible work ethic, and uh, warrior mindset. Yeah, that's he is. He is uh, phenomenal. So, I, look, I think coming back to it with the mentality is this what you fill your mind with. I, I do this. I was talking to a bunch of uh, athletes, college athletes, different sports. I was doing this outdoor leadership thing with them. And I'm kind of a creative uh, therapist. So I look around, I saw a bucket sitting there. I said, hey, listen, so I looked at all the kids. I said, if I give each and every one of you kids a bucket, what would you put in it? Now you answer me. So I go around, some kids are like, oh, I'll put food in my bucket. All right, I'll put my cell phone. Okay, cell phone in your bucket. What would you put in yours? Oh, water. Okay, so I looked at the kids. I said, so you'd have food in your bucket. You'd have water in your bucket. You'd have your cell phone in your bucket. Here's my point. Whatever you put in your bucket will be in your bucket. And they're looking at me like, man, this is the most obvious point in the world. And I said, it, it is obvious, but the same is true with your mind. Whatever you put in your mind is going to be in your mind. Yeah. If you fill your mind with hateful, hate, uh, violent movies, violent music, you're going to have violence in your mind. You fill your mind with peace. You're going to have peace in your mind. It's up to you. Put on whatever you want in your mind, but what you put in it will be in it. That's great, man. And I've, and I've heard some people describe our minds as a container and you only have so much room in that container. Do you want to fill it with negativity? Do you want to fill it with positive uh, thoughts? You know, yeah. but you've only got so much room. So make sure you put the, you know, the good stuff in there instead of all the bad well, stuff. Well, here, here's another angle. How about this? How about, <clears throat> how about we literally think less? Okay. That there is no need for this continual, continual internal chatter, never ending, never ending. Right. Uh, compound that with the fact that, oh, I don't know, I read this statistic, whatever, four years ago that the average kid receives or sends out a hundred interactions with someone else a day. And it's like, how do you have time for any deep thought? any any kind of creative space when you're continually 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 give and take give and take give and take couple that with this idea that everyone wants to live in their own reality tv world with the youtube and the facebook and all the the active media and it, it sets up this 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 scenario where these these kids they're they're their minds are bombarded and they end up it's like a like an overworked muscle yeah you can feel it man it, you, feel the it. creativity comes in the space between thoughts and if there's no space between thoughts you're just uh, you can be mechanical <clears throat> you can write code but yeah. you ain't gonna write the next great american novel right. <laughs> you're, you're, you're absolutely right they've demonstrated studies that one of the reasons why kids aren't tapping into their creativity as much is because they're constantly filling their minds with something i mean look when we were young we had a chance to be bored what a great opportunity when you're bored Woo! what a like, concept yeah i used to have uh i remember when bored. i was 
kid, uh, you know, maybe ah. 10 years old, I picked up a calculator and made that my ray gun. And I was, that was, that was my ray gun that I'd run around shooting. You know, you have, you have a chance to think. Of course, I, I as picked, I tell, I my, picked up a stick and used it as a ray gun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> that's it. I have a pretty cool. I love to teach in stories. I have a cool story to share with you about the mind and getting rid of the mind. I tell this to athletes, but there was this woodsman, and he was in the woods because he's a freaking woodsman. That's why he's in the woods. So he's <laughs> so he's chopping his tree, and as he's chopping his tree, he sees this real strange creature. Never saw a creature like this. So he looks and he's like, wow, I never saw a creature like this before. And the creature says, oh, you never saw a creature like me before. And he was like, oh, man, this thing talks, man, I can't believe it talks. And the creature's like, oh, now you're surprised I talk. And he's like, man, I should capture this creature. And the creature's like, oh, now you want to capture me. And he's like, how could he read my mind? And the creature's like, oh, now you're wondering how I can read your mind. So this guy, like he keeps, no matter what he does, whatever thoughts come up, this creature keeps saying, he repeats it to him and he's annoying the heck out of him. So this woodsman, he's like, I'm trying to get to his work, but as long as he's getting to his work, every thought he had, the creature would repeat it and tell it to him out loud. So finally he had to get so involved in his work just his ax to the tree, ax to the tree, ax to the tree, that when he became so involved with his work, mm. so present with what he was doing, the ax handle flew off and killed the creature. Yep. <laughs> immersion. Immersion, immersion, immersion. Immersion. Uh, a, I, a, I, think that's, I think that's the key to sanity is, is that, if you, first off, uh, do you have some sort of a task that you can get so immersed in that you right. lose your sense of self? Right. It could be throwing a football. I used to get it with uh, my next door neighbor. We'd throw a football back and or baseball back and forth for hours, and we would just get lost someplace yeah. in the zone, you call it. But I can get the same thing from music. I can get the same thing from cooking. I get the same Hunting. thing from being in the woods. I can yeah. get the same. You can get the same thing from building a ship in a bottle. And that's that's one of the addictive things with me with hunting. You know, alone. Uh, you know, and just your senses. You know, the, the senses that are dulled all day are alive when you're out there and every sound matters. Every and, your mind, and your mind is not running a thousand miles a minute out there, is it? No. And, 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 you know, you don't bring your, you bring your cell phone, you put it in your bag, you don't look at it. It's there for emergencies. You're not allowed to look at your cell phone, you know? And Marty, you observed uh, on several podcasts, and I don't know if this is a recent discovery from you or not, but... Um, the, the connection between resistance training, letting the mind fall silent, which is kind of what we're talking oh. about now, which was Whoa. the first step to meditation, only we didn't realize it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was like, uh, I've been a, a hardcore student of meditation since 1970. I started with the, the Hindus and worked my way into Japanese Zen, you know, Soto and Rinzi, got, you know, back to China for the Taoist, and, you know, on and on. Uh, and I, I haven't viewed meditation as some sort of, um, you know, invitation to a, a religion or religious experience. I wanted the nuts and bolts as comparative to try to up my athletic performance. Right. What, how do these different traditions compare and contrast in terms of their actual meditative techniques? What do they do similar? What do they do different? 
uh, one, one common factor was that they all sought to quiet the conscious mind, yeah. right? Well, after a hardcore, super intense, progressive resistance training, two things happen that are profound. Number one, you get this, uh, you know, I've used this, I created this phrase, a hormonal tsunami, where if, there's, if the intensity is sufficient enough, endorphin, serotonin, well, first it kicks off with adrenaline. Adrenaline gets the party started. And then, I mean, me at this point in my life, within 15 minutes, I have blasted my, so I did it at the Y yesterday. I did four sets of squats at the Y yesterday. It took me 15 minutes. I couldn't walk, right? But I got that fabulous hormonal burst and this wonderful, we even got a phrase for it now. We, we, you know, we, we call it the, you know, the post-workout bliss state where yeah. you're, you're, you're the, the intensity of the effort has, has basically bitch slapped the conscious mind into silence. Yeah. Right. Good way to put it. And, 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 and don't, and, and we just stay there and, you know, and we, all three of you guys have experienced it. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You, you, mm-hmm. you shatter yourself and you're sitting there. It's a high. And it's you're like, high. it's yeah. a high. It's a high. It's like, everything's perfect. <laughs> yes. And you just want to hold on to it forever, man. Yes. You just want to hold yes. on to it and it just leaves. And, and then you got to yes. face reality. You face and reality. That, I, <laughs> I would suggest that that is when we are at our best. Yeah. And, and I think that is a great prescription for anger management. I mean, part of it, it can be, it can be a great tool because I'll tell you what, if you go in the gym, all pissed off, by the time you get out of there, you feel so much better and relieved. You got the hormones flowing, the hormonal tsunami, you feel positive. You feel ready to maybe uh, take on the day in a different direction than, than you were when you woke up. Cause now you've got a sense of relief uh and just got a different perspective so yeah right i think that's one of the things we wanted to talk about too Kristen. i mean what's what's the what's the intersection of you know fitness and uh and uh handling your anger anger management i mean how powerful is that yeah it is it's huge i mean first of all we're able to sublimate our energy we're able to channel our energy in a good direction which is what i love about sports and martial arts I mean, in weightlifting, you get to channel your energy in a good direction. Anger is not wrong or bad or, or, you know, it's not, it's not that. It's what happens is when we lose control, we let anger control us rather than us controlling our anger. That's when it becomes an issue. And, um, you know, even such a little thing as when you're little, you know, when we're told, hey, if you're angry, go, go punch a pillow or go scream in a pillow, go punch something. It, we start to condition ourselves, stimulus response. Um, when I'm angry, snap, when I'm angry, snap. And that's not really training ourselves for what we want. It's okay to sit with that anger. It's okay sometimes to say, you know what, this is something I don't like, um, but I can handle it. A lot of anger stems, a lot of anger stems. It's, it's going to sound simple, but again, I don't think life is complex. I think it takes- Say again, a lot of anger what? Yeah, I think it's, it's simple. I think anger is, it's simple to understand this. Simple, simple. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Like so, so I have a concept I call the cartoon world. So I believe there's a difference between what I call the cartoon world and the real world. And our cartoon world is our world world filled with shoulds. She shouldn't have said that. He shouldn't have done that. 
Yeah. And then the real world is, well, the person did say that they did do that. And as long as you align your expectations with this cartoon world, you're going to be let down. But the world's not letting you down because the world just is what it is. So I've spent the better part of my career teaching people how to align their expectations with reality. Um, and it doesn't mean you can't strive to improve things from where they are, but it does mean you don't waste a lot of energy on times you can't control. I can't control the past. I can't change one second of the past, um, but I can work, work the problem from this moment forward. And to me, anger is not wrong or bad. It's, it's about how you channel it. How do you use it? I love the phrase inciting adrenaline because that's what we're, that's what we're doing. So you can definitely use anger to be motivated. Um, but there's so if that makes sense, that piece, and there's one other piece that I think is profound to understand. These two concepts, I really do believe in what it comes down to. So one is to get rid of that cartoon world or at least challenge yourself when you have it. I don't think we can ever get rid of it, but at least be aware of it. And then the other one is, is this. We don't want to be anxious. We don't want to be feel shame. We don't want to have depression. And there's just something called the, the scale of consciousness. And what it means is this, shame is our lowest form of consciousness. Like if I live in shame, I act out of shame. If I think I'm a no good piece of nothing, then why not act that way? Why not hurt other people, hurt myself? So shame's the lowest form of consciousness. The next one above that's depression. Not too much higher up, right? Depression is we're living primarily in the past. This shouldn't have happened. That shouldn't happen. And then above depression is anxiety. So anxiety, we're living in the future. Well, this, what if this, what if this, what if that? And then there's anger. Now, here's the great thing about understanding this. Anger is not the highest form of consciousness, but it is above shame, depression, and anxiety. So here's what this means. We would rather be angry than being depressed. We'd rather be angry than be anxious. So a lot of anger stems from people not wanting to deal with those earlier feelings. They're trying to get out of it. So they start to snap. They start to get that anger out, take their anger out on others. Christian, if I might interject, I, I also think that also it's, it's as if that's those um, emotional states you just described, they're below the waterline of ne negativity, like below the water's negativity, above the water in the sky is positivity, which I'm sure you have an equal number of positive mental attributes. Uh, but below the waterline, anger is easy to call up, right? It's, mm -hmm. If it was just as easy to call up blissful peacefulness, then I, I tell you people would call up blissful peacefulness, but it's a, that requires a behavioral change and habit modification. That's a different realm. Exactly what I was thinking, Marty. Anger sometimes I think is the easier way out. Most definitely. But the magic comes into being able to sit back and say, okay, before you fly off at the handle, that's what you got to teach them people, right, Christian, where you got to yeah. look at the sit, sit back and look at the situation before you react so negatively. Well, that's it. I mean, and think about this when you react because your anger has you fired up, then you are not in control. But right. when you can be the one, there's a great story of a samurai warrior who was sent to kill this guy. Emperor sends him to kill this guy. Samurai warrior finds the guy, beats him real quickly, pulls out his sword. He's about to chop this guy's head off and the guy spits in his face. So the samurai warrior steps back, sheaths his sword and he goes, he takes the guy in to be arrested. 
Emperor's like, hey, I told you to kill him. He said, man, I couldn't kill him because the moment I went to kill him, he spit in my face and he made me angry. And I knew that if I killed him in that moment, I would have done so out of anger and not out of my sense of duty. Mm. So that's control right there. That's, mm. that's self-control. Yeah. yeah. You know, I say to young people all the time, like, what's easier? What, if you're going to be tough, do you do the easy thing to get tough or the, tough, the hard thing? Well, you do the hard thing. Okay. Well, what's easier to fly off the handle and scream and yell at somebody or punch somebody? Or is it harder to sit with something, learn from it, figure out what the best course of action is? Well, that's harder. So if you really want to be tough, mentally tough, you got to train. But just the way you guys teach about the physical training, you've got to train mentally. You have to be prepared. So when stuff comes up, you're able to handle it. Let me ask you something. With your experience and time doing this and all the education you have and dealing with, um, you know, uh, violent criminals and, and everybody, like you said early on, you yourself are human. You get mad. You get pissed. You know, I'm sure road rage happens to you once in a while and people cut you off. Are you able to harness that? Are you able to kind of step back, you know, with all your knowledge and training and everything and go, wait a minute, let me just, uh, or, or do you still find yourself after all this time having that human uh, natural response to just snap and go, okay, wait a minute, that's wrong. Let me step back here, yeah, analyze well, this. So first of all, I am human and I definitely have the feeling and uh, the, the emotion of anger come on me, but I absolutely do not get mad on the road. There's no ounce of anything to get me angry with road rage. I practice what I teach. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to have the credibility if I didn't leave, live my message. It doesn't mean I don't get angry. I definitely get angry. But the difference is I really do believe at my age, doing this 24 years, I'm 48 years old. I really do believe it comes down to that cartoon world. And I practice that daily. So if somebody cuts me off, I'll tell you what, I was coming down to see you guys. I was running behind. And right on that final stretch of road, this car was going 25 miles an hour in a 45. And I couldn't oh, yeah. get around him. And I thought, it is what it is. Like, it's not. It's probably is... Marty. Well, yeah. Back in, in my neighborhood, they have uh, tractor warning signs, you know. <laughs> my, yes. point, my point they is, do. I practice that. And I'll tell you a story I thought was kind of good. So at my center up in Tahoe, um, probably 10, 11 years ago, um, this I, i'm driving up to my center and this car comes awfully close to mine like really close to mine seems like fired up and i just slow down smile let the guy go so he turns in cuts me off and then turns right into the center where i am <laughs> he gets out and there's a group of guys waiting to go in my building and he goes man doc's legit he goes i try to get him pissed off he said i try to cut him <laughs> I wanted to see what his response was going to be. Let me go. Oh, that's good. That's, that's good. awesome. That's good. That's good. That's good. I, mean, man, I, practice this. Like, <laughs> I world, love the, I love this, the sitting back and, and looking at it or we have such faulty, you know, that's the cartoon world. That's what you're talking about. So for instance, every day I would come home, go over to Walt Whitman bridge, traffic, people cutting you off, you know, just awful. Every day I get pissed off. And then I was, reading that book, The Myth of Stress. I told you about it, Christian. It's so mm -hmm. good. And the guy was like, it's 4.30. You're in Philadelphia. Everybody's going home at this time. The traffic is the same every day. You know, this is what you're expecting. Yeah. This is the way it is. This is the real world. So why yeah. are you getting pissed off? It's just the traffic at 4.30 every single day. It's like each day I'd be more and more pissed off until finally I was like, 
It's 4.30. I'm going, everybody's going back to Jersey from Philadelphia. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's, you were telling yourself, this shouldn't be here. Like, you know, right. shouldn't. That's right. And then you finally get to like, okay, it is here and I can handle it. Like, it's not yeah. the end of the world. I can handle it. Yeah. So, yeah, I absolutely, I feel the emotion of anger, but I definitely have practiced my craft uh, and I practice it in terms of patience. I practice it in terms of learning how to channel it and speak effectively. And then my book is called, my newest one's called Walking Through Anger because this doesn't mean like stuffing it down and not dealing with it because that's not healthy at all. I confront stuff head on. Like I'm very, I'm, I'm an alpha male. Like I definitely will confront something in one second, but I believe there's a way to confront something by circumventing people's fight or flight responses so that you can speak in ways that can actually be heard. And that's why fight, fight, flight, or freeze. Right. That's what I help people get circumvent. So that, and that's what I train officers in. And that's what yield theory is all about. How do you speak in effective way? So it's one thing to scream at somebody. And, yeah, how to speak, how to speak in effective ways. We've heard that before from one of our guests, right, guys? Yes, we when have. Henda was when Henda was talking to us about um, de-escalation, dealing, yeah. deal, yeah, de-escalation, dealing with, uh, assume it was Afghani um, villagers and mm -hmm. uh, two two parallel squads, one squad, you know, two hundred yards down one direction, and you know, gunfire, screaming, dead animals, chaos, and he's up there just going along. Hey, how's everybody doing? What's going on? Anybody seen uh, this guy? We're looking for this guy. Uh, there's a little bit of a reward on him. Anybody can help us. And using uh, tact and intelligence, he got what he wanted. And meanwhile, you know, there are a bunch of uh, ugly Americans a couple hundred yards away doing it the wrong way. Yeah. So, I, and, and I, again, this is a mirror. What Christian is telling us is a mirror of that same kind of. And again, Hendo was honed by 17 straight combat tours. He didn't start out that way. Right. And when he started out, he was down there with the guys shooting stuff up, okay? Sure. Sure, right. no, but, I, but you hit on it. It's, it's training. It is training. We master what we practice. So I, I, you know, I certainly, I live in a world where I'm on, it's an internet age. People can find me. If I was full of, if I was full of it, people could find that real quick, but, um, yeah, I got to live my message, man. I was in, I was running a group. I was in a maximum security prison yesterday and I was running a group with these guys. And I said, uh, and these guys are classified as, as the most violent in the institution. And I said, look, you've spent, you were, you're going to be in this group and you can look at this group as a bunch of BS and that's fine, whatever you want to do. But here's the deal. Like you have to train just the way you know, my yield theory, it comes down to three things. Listen, validate, explore options, right? Listen, validate, explore options. And I was speaking one time about this and this lady came up to me and she goes, that's all your theory is, three things, your big theory. And I said, yeah, but if you think about it, all Bruce Lee ever did was move, block and hit. And he did pretty well for himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what that's, you know, that's the purposeful primitive, uh, you know, attitude that we, we talk about all the time, man. There's yeah. just a few fewer, simple fewer things, things and do them right. Yeah. Yep. Fewer things, fewer things better. Yeah. So I, yeah. So I said to this group of inmates yesterday, I said, look guys, you can do, you can say, well, I already know this, or I've heard about this before, but at the end of the day, if you don't practice this control, 
then it doesn't matter. And I said, look, you could do push-ups in your cell for a year straight. You'll feel strong. You'll feel good. And then if you don't do them for another year, you're going to lose that strength. And the same thing happens men mentally. If you practice something a long time ago or you heard about a concept once, that doesn't make you a master of it. You have to stay on top of practicing it constantly. Um, I, so, yeah. I, I would suggest that part of the reason that, and I've written a couple articles on, I think I'll send these to you, Christian, uh, about this thing, this, the incredible prison muscle. I mean, the amount of results that these guys are getting on a nationwide basis locked up with the worst equipment and the worst nutrition in the world. And yet I posit that the results that these guys are getting far exceed what expensive personal trainers are getting for their clients on the outside. And it's like, seems like an impossibility, but when you actually examine it, when you look at it close, it's because they're forced to use these primitive tools, but they're also, they have a forced regularity, right? Mm. Their nutrition, even though to us, it might be the worst nutritional imaginable, it might be the best nutrition of their lives, mm -hmm. right? That's, that's Coming right. from as hard a play. I mean, you know, you got guys coming out of the wire and it's like, yeah, we, this, we're eating every day, three times a day, man. This is great. Yep. Uh, so, uh, it's it's it seems like an impossibility that the, and these guys are muscle up strong with barbells maybe chinning up doing dips the very very minimum of stuff but they they're there every day they can be regular also their sessions have to be short well Marty, we've often talked about in that situation, uh, they've also got to perform in front of their, their, uh, their homies, you know. Chris, Christian could speak to that. It's true. There was a guy in his cell that was watching because the groups aren't like you're not in some private room running groups like you're you're doing a, a group and there's a, a bunch of cells that are facing that middle floor. And there were a couple of guys that I was watching work out in their cells and you could see them getting at it. And you're exactly right. They're, they're, even though, you know, there's a narrow window in these maximum security prisons and in the places that are the restricted housing units, but you can see the guy jumping up and down. He must've been doing burpees, but just cool. constantly. And I mean, yeah. really getting at it. Well, that gives him, that gives him that hormonal tsunami and so a little bit of mental relief from his situation, right? It's a legal high. Yep. Yeah, and I love I love I love those terms. I also love what you just said about the forced regularity, because how many people say, "Well, I don't want to lift today because I don't feel like it." Right. But if you got forced regularity, no choice. And yeah. if you get into it, if you get into weightlifting deep enough in prison, you're blissed out for after that session. Whenever that session happens, you know, for the next what hour, hour and a half, whatever, you're you're in a good place. You feel good. Yeah. Well, the opposite happens when people get into self-harm. So um, people often wonder, why do people get into self-harm? Why are they hurting themselves? Why do they cut themselves? Well, there are a couple of reasons. One, people get into self-harm because if they cut themselves, well, how big is anxiety? Well, we don't know. But if I cut myself, a one-inch cut on my arm, well, I can show people, look, I have this cut. This is how bad this, this my pain is. Is it a cry for attention? 
It is, but I, I, I like to be mindful the way I we say that phrase. Yes, it's a cry for attention, but I don't want to minimize that because the question is, why does someone feel they have to go to that length to cry for attention? So right. yeah, what's really yeah. underlying? What's really, really underlying there? Yeah, yes. maybe because they're locked up in a cell with nobody and they would rather cut themselves and see emergency people or somebody than this intense loneliness. Sometimes that is absolutely the case. Sometimes it is. But of course, we know self-harm goes way farther than, than prison. You know, I spent a lot of time working with young people that do it. And the other aspect that ties in with the lifting that you mentioned is this. When you cut yourself, that pain happens. And what will happen? Our brain rushes in with endorphins uh, to yeah. make us through that pain. So for uh, a moment, the pain escapes them. And that's why people get into that. So uh, is it kind of like a self-medication type of thing along those lines? Yeah. And it's an awful cycle that you get in because as you know, that, that endorphin high doesn't last that long. And then the mm. emotional pain comes back and then, you know, they get into, and they obviously can get into where they, even if someone's cutting themselves in what's called a superficial way, in other words, they're not attempting suicide with the cuts. What if they cut themselves wrong or deeper or, you know, I see some people get into really awful things and I try to help them get away from that because it's, it's not healthy, but like you say, you take somebody, get them into weightlifting. Now they're learning, they can get that endorphin high without doing something that's so harmful to themselves. Well, Marty wrote a great article on this and it's, uh, you know, psyching. And he gives examples from guys taking a board out of a gym bag, smacking a guy on the head, <laughs> uh, yeah, to ramming your head into the knurling on the bar before the squat uh, squat attempt and having blood run down your face. So that's uh, there's no razor blades involved yet, I don't think. But, you know. Yeah, it's not. Oh, healthy. yeah, that. Yeah, that was. Uh, and, and originally we all started out the Olympic weightlifters use. Uh, quiet internal psyching. They're very European. And their approach was, was originally formulated by a guy named uh, Dr. Aldar Kogor. And his, he was the guy who invented the Soviet auto-suggestion and modeling and self-imaging and all that. And at the time, it was so effective that it was labeled a state secret. Mm. And anybody behind the Iron Curtain who revealed it to Western coaches would be, you know, get a visit from the KGB. So, <laughs> yeah, he came to this country. He was a fencing coach. He was a Hungarian fencing coach. And he came to this country and was the fencing coach of Colombia. So I interviewed him several times for uh, Muslim Fitness. We did, or I did articles on him and brought him to the attention. But his idea was essentially that you use your mind to think your way into higher performance state in particular with the idea of running a movie if you're an olympic weightlifter and you're and you're up for the clean and jerk then you run the movie of yourself about to do the clean and jerk wearing exactly what you're wearing with the environment exactly what it is the greater the detail the better the lifter the greater the detail in the visualization and if you look at the movies the old youtube pictures of uh oh alexia or Zakharevich or Pisarenko or, or, or any of the great 70s or 80s Russian Olympic lifters. And the, you, they walk to the barbell and they stand over it and their mm -hmm. eyes are shut and they're just standing there. And everybody's going, what are they doing? Well, they're running that final 
visualization, then they open their eyes and they turn the visualization into reality. Now, Kogler stated that repeated visualizations actually improve technique. That's why you see like the bobsledders at the Olympics and you'll see the drivers and they're standing outside the bobsled and they're like standing there and they're like, they're, they're like moving the pretend steering wheel, right? And in their mind, they're going over the entire bobsled course, right? Over and over and over. So when they get in the bobsled, all of a sudden the terms seem natural, you know what I mean? So uh, that was the European approach. Uh, the, the samurai approach was to get into the Zen mind state of no mind because they felt that the only way to deal with the quickness of an incoming blow, particularly a, a sword blow, a, a sword, an object in the hand can be delivered at 150 miles an hour, whereas the fist can only go about 90, okay? So if you have something in your hand, it comes in a lot faster. So they said, no thinking, you have to be completely blank. That's the only way you're going to blank, yet electric and alert, right? Not blank, but ready to take a nap. No, electrified alertness. And that's how you deal with with it intuitively, spontaneously. And if you look in my book, The Purposeful Primitive, you'll, you'll see photos of the the Kendu guys doing, they call it Mokosan, which is formalized meditation before practice. And that way, when they jump out with their wooden swords, you're supposed to react to the blow intuitively, right? Right. So those are the two, and, and the, the reason I would put the two conflicting mindsets in the book is because why not use them both, right? Why not use both the European visualization and also the idea of let's achieve this this beautiful electric blankness right the uh, the gap between thoughts where you perceive reality me marty that that encompasses the way you just described that that encompasses one of the things that i just loved when i sat down and talked with you guys when we first met um because I really do believe that I buy into that. That's, that's Bruce Lee's philosophy. Like, why would we not draw on what's help, help, helpful? Uh, I mean, whether we, we practice the, the visualization ahead of time and then we get to the moment we're in the moment, however we do it, I, I get, I run into people who are very rigid and very much like, Oh, it has to be my way. It has to be what I learned, how I train. Christian, Christian, we're either scientists or we're fundamentalists. Okay. A scientist embraces new ideas, right? Whereas a fundamentalist, eh, we're fine. You know, we, we've got enough knowledge. We're good with where we're at, right? I love and that. We're scientists, right? We yeah. Show us a better way. We'll be happy to steal it. And 100%. I, I believe, <laughs> right. I, whatever works. I mean, and so I don't think it has to be this way. I try to offer things and people have to be the ones who, who look, grab onto it. Sometimes when I come in to do sports psych with people, if somebody wants me to come in and do like a speech on sports psych, I'm always like, man, I, I hope we, uh, is this speech like 15 minutes? Because I can tell you the entirety of sports psychology, it's not that complex. It's, you, you know, you ha- when you do the vi- clear visualizations, you were right on the money with that. Uh, Jimmy, when- Jimmy, tell him, tell him, Jim, tell him about what your dad would have you do as a kid. Yeah, man. So my dad, Christian, was uh, taught sports psychology. <clears throat> at the University of Maryland for over 40 years. 
And uh, I mean, you know, we so we went by poundages when we were kids for football. So I guess I was probably in 70 or 80 pound football, which makes me what second, third grade. And he would lay down to bed with me the day before the game, the night before the game. And he would say, OK, I'm going to picture you picture yourself down in your three point stance. I want you to picture how the ground feels. I want you to picture your fingertips and feel that ground on your fingertips, that ground oh, and all that. And we'd go, we'd go everything. Picture the guy across from you. Picture yourself, you know, grabbing his jersey, throwing him to the left, making yeah. a tackle in the gap that you have yeah. to the running back, number 32. I mean, we would yeah. get so specific with it. I didn't realize how fortunate I was, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then used it the rest of my life and still use it today, you know, in, in things that I do. Uh, I was just fortunate, but you know, uh, it turned me on to the fact I was thinking nobody else is doing this. Nobody, <laughs> you know, and then when you get in the game and it's just like preparing later, 20 years later, preparing for squad 800 for the first time, I had prepared so much that when I took the bar off, it's like, I already done it. You know, if I hadn't done all that stuff, I always you think had, you like had already, you, you had yeah. already done it. It was deja vu all over. Yeah. And it yeah. was just like, okay, well, this Jim. is just the, the finish of everything I've done already. It's just the finish. Jim, as a young kid, how did you take to that? You know, your, your dad's did exactly what he you. said. I did everything he said, man. Yeah. So you were like into it from the get go. Yeah. Oh, you yeah, understood. Then, I mean, I was, you know, he would take me to seminars that somebody was giving a speech and I would just sit there with all the college students and listen. He'd have the Redskin strength coach. You know, I was real fortunate oh, to have man, all yeah. Great opportunity. Remember uh, Swede from uh, Heartbreak Ridge? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so Swede. I was Swede. That was, Dan uh... Riley. <laughs> Dan Riley, who was the strength coach at Penn State for years, then the Redskins when they won all those championships. He was Pete Koch. I was just a little kid. Pete Koch yeah. uh, was still playing at the University of Maryland. That was Swede. And Dan Riley said, let me show you something. Uh, everybody thinks that you got to lift weights in order to get a good workout. And he said, Pete, come over here. Now, Dan Riley was like five foot four or something, you know. And he started doing lateral raises, holding on to Pete Koch's wrist. And he was like, try harder than that, big boy. Try harder than that. And he took him to beyond failure, which, Marty, you know, that's what, you know, Dan Riley was always talking about. The oh, yeah. stuff. But it was pretty interesting. Dan Riley was sitting there. I'm a little kid. And Pete Koch, who was sweet in the Clint Eastwood movie, was getting put to failure on lateral raises by this little guy. It was pretty good. <laughs> Boom, boom, and Marty, listen to this. Boomer Sison was in there doing behind the necks, seated behind right, the right. necks. <laughs> Never had you, a show. You were, little, you were a little young for Randy. You missed Randy White, right? Well, Randy and I hooked up later when we started talking about the knife fight and then the Muay Thai stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but now Randy would lock himself he, he, every Wednesday. So, so Coach Claiborne at the University of Maryland was such ahead of his time, first hiring Frank Costello as a, a strength coach. And then he handed out psychocybernetics to every single player on the team. They would re, re, be required to read it. And, uh, you know, it's the visualization principle. And so Frank, the, Frank, Frank, Frank Costello was a, was a great athlete. He was, he was a seven foot two inch high jumper yeah. who became, and, and, and I, he was only like what Jim six, one, maybe. Yeah. Just real lean. Just, you know, yeah, but he wasn't, yeah. he wasn't like he was six foot seven or anything. No. He was a short guy who, who really thought about and he used the Western roll, which is the this was before the Fosbury flop. So seven two using a Western roll being six foot was really something. And then he segued into a strength coach 
and yeah. ended up at University of Maryland. He went to Russia, and, was one of the first guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And also he was a plyometrics, uh, one yep. of the first guys to do plyometrics. And Jim got exposed to these guys very, very young as a kid. Yeah, yeah I didn't realize. I, realize. I would sit there and watch these guys train. And I had carte blanche because my dad was best friends with the head football coach. So it was, uh, I just learned a lot. But anyway, so the, what Randy said he would do was Wednesday night or before a Sunday game, he would close himself in his room or, or wherever bedroom or dorm room when they're at camp. And he'd start visualizing just like my dad taught me. And he'd do it at the same time every night, you know, during the week until Sunday, everything is like um, you're flowing. You know, if, if and all you guys have been in that athletic state where everything you do is smooth, everything you do is like you don't even have to try and everything yep. works. And yep. that's that flow state. And that's yep. what you're trying to get in with all this visualization. So when you hit the field, man, that guy puts his hand on your chest and you practice that pass rush move a thousand times. And, you know, and it doesn't always come. You what know what I mean? Yeah. You Christian Murdy had a saying, you can open the window, but the breeze doesn't always blow in. If you could only predict, if you could only predict when that breeze was blowing, man, I know, you I know. could bottle that shit. I want to ask Christian, um, you know, we're always talking about visualization use and application towards athletics, us specifically weightlifting, where else? And that's such a, a, a small portion of our day that we spend in the gym. Where else can we be applying that? throughout our life, you know, towards our, our, um, you know, what we do in life, uh, you know, owning a business, you know, our occupation our our marriage or relationships, you know, how can we use visualization towards that? Should we be using it? Yeah. So it's with everything you do. What I learned was when I started to branch out and do things with like businesses and all these other different avenues, not just with athletics, what I realized is it's about performance. It's everything we do. And so what you're doing is you're tapping into a part of your brain called the premotor cortex. That's where the majority of your mirror neurons are. So what your mirror neurons are, every time you watch an athlete do something, your brain is, anytime you watch anybody do something, your brain is also doing that. And that's why we have young people watch the best in their sport, because as they watch it, and Marty talked about it earlier, you, you visualize that or you watch that person is doing something, you visualize it, and you're actually increasing your performance because you're strengthening. And the majority of mirror neurons are primarily located in the premotor cortex, you know, before you're before the movement. So when you talk about this visualizing, you can do it with absolutely anything you're going to do. And then when you integrate, like Jim, his dad, what he gave him, what a gift, because yeah. touching that dirt, like the more real, we talk about bringing in all five senses. So if you can bring in all five senses to your visualization, yeah. now you're making it real. Yeah. The smell of the grass. That's yeah. The point, smell yeah. of the grass. When you mentioned touching the dirt, like that's it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we know, we know how to make it real Christian. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, so you take this stuff and then you apply it to, uh, say, your marriage and you're going to have a conversation. You visualize what it looks like. You visualize not everything being perfect. Now, this was a great thing that I heard um, uh, Phelps talk about. He, he said, look, my coach told me to visualize, make everything perfect in my visualizations. But he said, I didn't listen. In my mind, I kept picturing anything that could go wrong. But listen, here's the key. But then I pictured how I could get over those obstacles. Right, so one, one, yeah. 
can I just interrupt real quick? Because yeah, yeah. that's an, that, that's another thing that Hendo talked about is yeah. um, is contingencies, right? He said that was the main thing that he yeah. visualized over and over and over and over and over is like they be, once they were given the night nightly mission. Yes, he would he would visualize the mission, but he said really what he concentrated on is the contingencies. Yeah. What could what if, go wrong? What if this goes wrong? Yeah. What if this yeah. happens? And how ma- and how many things could go wrong? And he would run over in his mind what would be his response if this went wrong. And mm-hmm. he said the list could be you know twenty items long. Yeah. And, yeah. and the more you prepare for that, so for me in these terms, I'm talking about like I could talk about the cartoon world. If I prepare that the conversation that I'm going to have with a loved one might not go you can't prepare for every word they're going to say but we might say listen it might not fall into my cartoon world she shouldn't have said that but she but the real world is she did and so what you can train for what you can prepare for is to be prepared for whatever happens in reality just like when we first start boxing think about when we first you're young you first start boxing and you think boy i'm gonna jab him and he's gonna drop his hand and then i'm gonna give him a hook and then i'm gonna and we plan out the whole fight in our head and then the first time we get in a fight we just close our eyes and just start wailing <laughs> we didn't think about what he was gonna start do. swimming <laughs> <laughs> start swimming yeah um and then eventually you learn how to be able to prepare for what might come up not predicting every every moment but you got to prepare for those contingencies. So, so that's what Phelps did. He said when he won one of his races, he actually, his goggles came off, but he had practiced counting the strokes so many times that when his goggles came off in the meet, he actually, in the Olympics, he just kept counting the strokes. He, he, he probably practiced when the goggles came off. Yeah, he did. He absolutely did. Just counted the strokes. So he, he did the same thing we're all talking about, what he always had done in his mind. And that's why this mental aspect is so important. And again, I bring it back to the very beginning. If anybody out there listening is like, ah, that's a bunch of hogwash, try that technique with the curl curl bar. By the way, you know, I learned from mistakes. And when I first did that technique, I did it with the bench press. And then it hit me. What if I have some kid taking a weight he can't do and then just <laughs> dropping it? <laughs> it's yeah, you always got to think about liability. Yeah. yeah. So, and so, and it's so, 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 so Christian, why don't you share what you did? before the program yeah today i had i you know getting to meet you guys and just really loved your energy and was excited about uh being on here with you today so i planned out my lift was going to be for this morning and i did one of the strongest lifts if not the strongest lift i've ever ever done so this morning i did um incline dumbbell presses and i started i did 60 pounds for 20 75 pounds for 15 and then i did eight sets of 10 with the hundred pound dumbbells and it was absolutely strict form and i have never done that eight sets of, of 10 100 pounds of strict form that's I good, felt man. good couldn't wait at to age guys. at age what 48 48 48 yeah, 48. yeah. that's good man so you're saying we're anabolic <laughs> i'm telling you guys you guys were my you incited my adrenaline in a <laughs> you know it, it's it's funny how the, you you mentioned being being prepared and all that i was I'm writing this article for JP about little things that really matter. And I was oh, I, like things, that. I like that I was, title. That's good. Little yeah, just little things, things I've really picked matter. up, you know, over the years. Yeah. Little things like how to find little your things that re- little things that really matter. Yeah. Yeah. And one of them was how prepared are you? So, you know, we put all this into lifting. It's all I ever think about, man. You know, lifting and 
what did I eat enough protein today? Did I get enough carbs? Did I do my cardio and all this stuff? But going into that, and it's just like anything else, athletics or, you know, anything else you want to prepare the night before, just like it's the biggest interview of your life. The next day, if you're going to have the biggest interview of your life, you would have everything set out. You'd be practicing what you're going to say. You would go over practice questions, you know, uh, Oh, what if she's, ask me this, what, how am I going to react? How am I going to respond to something on my resume? All this stuff, this preparation. And it's the same thing that you want to do with your workouts that you want to do with everything. Um, the little things like the visualization and, and the big things overall of the preparation is so important for everything you do, but you learn that by making your workouts important and being prepared for them, you know, or for athletics. I love that. I love that. Every moment matters. Ray Lewis says greatness isn't one thing done well once it's a bunch of little things done well over time. Yeah. When I asked Randy white, Marty, I was like, so when you, when you kick the bags, the tie pads, you know, he's a big tie boxer. You, you just kicked him a couple of days a week. He goes, I kick the tie pads every day, man. I would go in a locker room and grab somebody out and say, hold these tie pads. You know, it wasn't an, a one day thing. It, it was an everyday thing. You know, he was, he was sort of insulted when I asked him, he's like, no, man, I do it every day every day you know you can't get good with it it's just you know we do this thing called called skill sparring where you know with the advent of all these uh rule changes with the offensive linemen they basically can hold you and grab you and you know they don't get called and all these escapes you know how to get rid of somebody grabbing you right and and you know you do it so many times that as soon as the guy grabs your clips you know your shoulder pad clips you've done the hand movements it's wing chung stuff is what it is You've done that stuff so that it's automatic. It yeah, automatically, again, it automatically you, happens. You, you, and you, you ingrain it to the point that in the actual competition, you're told, now forget it. Now forget everything you know. Yeah. And just be intuitive and just yeah. be confident that when that situation arises, you will intuitively, instinctively pick the right counter. No problem. Just have faith in your, in, in your training Yes. And your conditioning and the number of reps that you've done, I'm telling you that in whatever situation arises, you'll pick the right counter right. and let them go. Right. You know, that's why when JP asked me, do I practice this stuff? Like, absolutely. I kick the, the mental tie pads every day. Like, absolutely. Every day. <laughs> the mental tie pads. I Be like sure. that. The mental yeah. tie pads. Yeah. Good one. And I'm telling you, our, our connection, like when Marty just described, he said about practice and then let go. I trained counselors. I was a tenured professor at the University of Nevada. So I trained counselors and I said to them, you, I want you to read, like, if you ever ask me, do we need to know this for a test? Drop out of the program. Don't even just drop out of my class, drop out of the program, because who are you going to see in the future that you go, yeah, I never really worked with your issue. I can't help you out. So I said, uh, so I told them, I said, look, what I want you to do is study incessantly, read incessantly. But the moment that you get into your session, you got to just be present. And, and, and that's, that's the focus is to be yeah. present. You know, a short stop, if he, he can practice and practice and practice, but you can't consciously, if somebody hits a ground ball 15 feet to your left, you don't have time to consciously go, I must now move 32 angles to my left at a speed of 2.7 miles an hour to intercept. You, you know, the conscious thought can't keep up. 
you got to let go. You got to be intuitive. And the only way you get better at being intuitive is to do it and to do it repeatedly. Somebody said earlier, Bruce Lee was talking about Bruce Lee. And of course, that that famous cliche, I don't fear the man who's done 10,000 kicks one time. I fear the man who's done one kick 10,000 times. Right. Right. No, that's right. You know, and, and he don't he don't he he can go blank. He don't have to worry about not knowing the kick when the time comes. Right. Right. I want to ask Christian, um, how mindful are you of uh, of body language? Like when like when you're you're talking with a group of uh, of convicts or or just anybody, a group of anybody about anger management. Are you mindful of your body language? Is this something you've developed over time? Do you have, we're always talking about muscle memory in the gym. How about body language, muscle memory when you're discussing certain subjects like that? Yeah, it's enormous. It's enormous. So I, I, I there's a difference between what's called content, the words people say, and then process how they say it. So, you know, you could say to your wife, you know, I love you. And uh, in the middle of an argument. And then the next day, you're like, man, I even told you I loved you in the middle of that fight. She's like, what did you say? Yes, I do that all the time. <laughs> she, just the, she just saw the yelling, right? So, uh, yeah, I, I, think people, I try to train people to be very mindful of their body language because I always say your energy precedes you. Your energy is communicating for you. Ever. Right. So, yeah, that's a huge, huge one. And I say, look, I can't sing. I can't dance. But, you know, I definitely, I can read people quickly. And, uh, and I think that a huge part of that is watching the nonverbals. I just spent, you know, 24 years of a professional career studying nonverbals, constantly analyzing, watching when people would say, and uh, I think it's an enormous part of being able to pick up on stuff quickly. You learn patterns, you learn patterns. So the more you can see this, you know, I was walking one time, I was in, walking in this prison one time and it's corrections officer young uh girl was walking and she looked like she was injured like she's kind of limping and walking real slow and it's out on the walk you got 500 inmates walking past so i walked up to her and i said you all right she said why and i said because you look like you're limping you look like you're struggling uh, heads down so we started talking and she was like man i'm just counting the days and i said counting the days for what and she said till i retire and i said I said, listen, I don't know if I'm allowed to ask you this, if this is legal or what, but how old are you? Because I could tell she was a young girl. <laughs> she said, I'm 23. I said, you, oh know, my gosh. you are not, ca- you, that is a statement you heard someone else say, and you just integrate. Yes. I don't oh, I hate that. Know. Living the dream yeah. all negative. Yeah. yeah. So I so. said to her, but listen, but it was so funny because after I got done talking to her, if you remember that Kaiser so say movie, <laughs> when she walked away, she didn't have a limp. Her head was up and she walked with yeah. power. <laughs> Dude, it's you know, but that's a- as, when I when my 10 year old son, he thinks he's going to hit a home run every time he swings the bat. And mm-hmm. he has a couple of, you know, baseball is great because you get used to failure real fast. He swings and misses a couple of times. <laughs> His body language, it, he acts like somebody's dead. Yes, like, yes, I love body, that. I'm, I I'm love yelling. That body language. I'm not yelling how to hit the ball. I'm just yelling <laughs> body language from the stands. Body language. But, but to Christian's point, I mean, a, a, a CO, a correctional officer in uh, in a prison, I, oh, I I know that body yes. language is just so very. You gotta you gotta be projecting power mm. and you know, control and, and things like that. Very important. Yeah, when, when, you, when you are around a great coach, when, look, it's the same thing as training a dog. 
one of the things where I always teach is your posture, your rib cage elevated, your chin up when you're training the dog. So that dog goes, look now, at this. Are you talking outside. about the dog or you? When, what? No, when you're training a dog, the person has to be like that in order for oh, the dog but, to say, sorry, oh, oh, got, got it, got it, okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it goes from there to, to all the way it's, you're addressing, you know, because how many times did I address a thousand people or, you know, a football team every single day? I can't be out there all slump shouldered and, all right, guys, we're, you know, I guess we're going to squat today. <laughs> you know what I mean? You got to put that's right. You, you, gotta project. you could teach your son, you could film him, take out the phone and film him. And when he sees that body language, and if, you, if he has a good body language, also film that one. And then you yeah. sit down and you do game film. Like, and, and look, we know this athletes learn by watching the game film. And yeah. then you watch Mike Trout hit and you go, yes. And you just ask him and then you have him notice the difference. Like, tell me right. what you see. And I'm telling you, I don't make a difference with him because once the kids see it themselves, yeah. like, I think they think no one can see it. Like, right. They're like, <laughs> yeah. Something my shoulders over. I can't believe I didn't Homer, but yeah. Well, you know, a lot of people ask us, you know, why don't you video this uh, podcast of yours? I go, if you only saw what's going on, you know, Marty and Jim, everybody slumped over. Marty's laying down on the table, drool coming out of his mouth, the hair effed up. You know, that's. Where is this coming from? Where is this coming from? Body language. Yeah, my body language is good. I'm sharpening my knife right now, so. I finished As you squat. should be. That's perfect. I finished eight sets of bench presses while we've been running this show. <laughs> oh, love it. I told you guys I was going to share. I was emailing. I think I was even talking to Mario JP about why I do what I do. And there's, a, there's one story that really encapsulates the energy, the passion, why I'm so fired up at 48 for what I do. And it's a, it's an old story about a gnat and a bull. But there was this gnat, and he uh, he fell asleep on this uh, bull's horns. And when he wakes up, he says to the bull, he says, "Hey, I'm so sorry, Mr. Bull. I I fell asleep. I'll, I'll take off now." And the bull looked at him. And he said, Psh, "I didn't even know you were there." And I thought when I heard that story, I will never be on this planet and have planet Earth say, Psh, I didn't even know he was yeah. there. I will, I will make sure that I live with a fire and a passion to impact this world so that. Yeah, I love it. Well, how do you best keep that fire and passion going? I mean, you've been doing this for what, 26 years? Yeah, 24 for my, my professional counseling career. And I, what I do is um, I, every morning I wake up, first thing I do is express gratitude and then I meditate. And then I visualize I'm standing in front of 7 billion people on planet Earth. And I think, what could I say that could be helpful? And then at some point in the morning, I take that statement and I post it on my Twitter. Or, and uh, I've been doing that every every day for 10 years. And mm -hmm. I just kind of visualize. And that's how I start off. And I think, and then I do this meditation where I'm really visualizing um, breathing in the pain of others. As a, I'm a practicing Zen Buddhist. Mm -hmm. so we practice. It's called Tong Lin, where you visualize breathing in the pain of others and breathing back out, healing to them. And uh, I do this kind of thing where it, we, we do it till it gets to the point where you're breathing in for the whole universe, every living being, all their suffering and breathing. And so I tell people all the time, when you start off, even if you think it's a bunch of, you know, baloney and you don't buy into that, imagine what your mindset is if every day you start off thinking, how can I help all the suffering of all living beings in the entire universe. If I can take in their pain and breathe back out healing to them, and that's the beginning of your day. 
um, that's a heck of a way to start off your mindset. And that's what it I do is. every day. It is. Mm. And you're, and you can stay motivated through, through all that after, you know, doing this 24 years. I mean, you know, I've been, I've, I've ran my business for 26 years now and you do, you get tired, you know, you get in your fifties and you're putting in these long days and you're, you know, you've got stress and all that. And I'm always looking for ways to, to like refresh my mind and stay positive and, and all that stuff. It's not always easy, especially in your line of work, you're talking with uh, convicted felons and a lot of negativity that's being thrown at you day in and day out too. So I am, but I also have a very diverse career. So I, I'm fortunate that I've, I've worked hard. I've had, you know, some, uh, you know, you talk about the person who connected us, Secretary John Wetzel. He's one of the greatest leaders I ever met, like one of the best human beings I've ever met. And, um, you know, he's put me in positions for success to share what, what I've come up with and how to spread it. So I have, when it comes to the prison system, I'm able to go in, I, I can bring energy because I'm not in the exact same prison every single day. You know, for, for many years, I just went in six months at a time at one particular prison. At this point in my career, you know, I was in one prison yesterday, I'll be in a different prison next week. So I, I, that, that part's different. I can bring the energy to people. And uh, I don't pretend like I know what it's like to be there every day in their prison. So I try to lead with that humility. But then the other thing is I'm also working with professional athletes and I'm working with fortune 500 companies. So I'm, uh, and then I have my, I do an emotional management podcast on, I guess, 400 stations daily, a couple of serious XM stations. It's like a one minute, it's a 60 second, like story with a lesson. And then I write. Um, and so I kind of, my professional career is very diverse. I speak all over the country, train people in yield theory. So I'm passionate about it. I'm on fire because I get to do different things. Um, that, I think that's what keeps me fired up, doing all those different things, different ways. To well, again, it's this whole idea of immersion. If, if you have a series of immersive tasks, you maintain that mental health because you, you can't, you can't, uh, oh, what's, what's the phrase, multitask? Right. You can't seriously do something and be thinking about, well, what am I going to have for dinner tonight? How are the Redskins going to do this weekend? My wife's still pissed at me. You know, you, you, you have to have this immersion in what you're doing. And, and if you and don't care about if you don't care about what you're doing, there's no immersion. Yeah. Right. It, it, yeah. It, it's 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 like those soldiers we train, man. They, they want to be immersed in something that simulates yeah, yeah. what they do in war. And that's why they compete in the powerlifting. That's why yeah. they do these crazy endurance stuff. That's why they yeah. say, coach, give me something that'll wreck me, you know, because yeah. they, they, they're looking for something where there is nothing else coming into their mind except that action that they're performing, you know, right. that high. It's crazy. Yeah. Speaking of focus, all of it. Yeah. Speaking of immersion and Marty, this is for you and Christian and uh, Jim too, but I mean, we all do what we love, what we're passionate about. And you get going during your day. And before you know it, man, it's lunchtime. And then after after that, before you know it, it's five o'clock. And it just with the snap of a finger. And I mean, you are totally immersed in what you do. And you have such focus that you're not paying attention to anything else. Isn't that phenomenon of time compression when you're immersed? It happens in cardio. I try to take, when I come across clients that they use a stationary bike, they easily get spaced out and they, they text and they, 
whatever, talk on the phone because they can. So if we give them some sort of multidimensional, multi-limb cardio, like outside trail running, where you better pay attention because if you're not paying attention, you'll hit a trip hazard and you'll fall down and smash your face. So we put them in that environment, then they have to be engaged in what's happening. If you have a heavy barbell in your back, you're not multitasking. No. Right. <laughs> right. Right. That's well, the type that's... of things we see. Some guys get it from fishing. Right. Yeah. But see, and Marty, and you or make hunting, this point all hunting. the time. It's the intensity of it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It has to be at a certain level or it doesn't, or it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I, I get it. I get it from cooking. Yeah. I get zen out cooking because uh, it's like, because I have to have, because there's a, a blankness because you're timing. This is, you have six different things that have to happen and you can just get completely zen out and into yes. it. Yes. It's anything you do in life. Like my wife is living zen. We've been married 21 years. and The effort that I uh, put into the things I do in my job, she puts into our family to being the best wife to being the best mother and she is when she talk about cook she's outstanding and it, i watch her live that zen because she practices non-attachment like she'll make something and if you know if we crush it and it's awesome it's great and if we don't like it's it's already been made she's already it's already made so it's cool like uh, and she lets go it's 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 a way of life so you can have this passion in many different areas it, any area you want in life you can have this passion yeah right that's that's exactly right. You know, before I did all this, I was a uh, I was a truck driver and I hauled dumpsters around. You know, it was a family business. And um, it was funny because I was the one that they always the customer always called to have me go to the job because I was the guy that would get this dumpster into the absolute tightest spot. If I got there and there was <laughs> trees overhanging on this driveway I would say, hey, where's your saw at? You got you got something I can clip, trim those uh, trim those branches with and all that. And I just I had a passion, even though that wasn't what I was going to do for the rest of my life. I did this kind of while I was initially building my business, but I made sure I was the best at what I did, and I had a passion for it while I was doing it. Um, you know, and that's just and you, that's just and you how were, and, you, and you weren't spacing out while you were back in that massive thing into that tight space. Oh, you either. couldn't. You'd tear the house down or the mirrors off or whatever. <laughs> it's yeah. like if you say to yourself, and Christian, I'm sure you've dealt with this. I know Marty and I have. You say, oh, I'm going to write a thousand words today. And it takes you forever to do a hundred. And the next day, you got 3,000 and you and you thought you had written a hundred. You know, yeah. it, yeah. it, it yeah. comes it's out of your, fuck, your freaking fingertips. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. You know, uh, you talked about Marty, but the concept you it's, you're right about there's no there's no, actually no, neurologically there's no such thing as multitasking people say i'm a good multitasker no you're not what happens oh, neurologically your brain is you actually shift the focus rapidly you're shifting from this to this but you're not actually multitasking um so it's becoming present again you pull yourself into whether you're back in a, a giant machine up whatever you're doing you're fully present and and, it, and it's practice it's practice repetition they don't even they don't Kids today don't even realize that that's a value. They, when you talk to them about, to, about, you know, you really need to think less. They're like, what are you talking about? Yeah, that, yeah. that sounds insane. 
Yes. Right. And, and, and it's just an interesting phenomenon. In this day and age, everyone is they have know, like uh, rabbit minds. Yes. Yes. Monkey mind. We call it in Zen. Monkey mind. Monkey mind. Right. Mystery to that. I have to tell you, I got to get in a word about my daughter because I love to talk about her. But she's 16 years old, hasn't missed a day of meditation since she was six and a half and regulate her emotions like crazy. And we we're in the car the other day. And I said to her, I said, what's on your mind? She's like, the song that we're listening to. And she thought it made it sound like it was so foreign. Like, why would I not be present? I was <laughs> yeah. blown away with it. I, the kid impresses me every single day. <laughs> what does she want to be? So she's really now interested in um, psychology. And, um, Ooh, and I never pushed it, you know, because I deal with some really tough stuff. I mean, the violence, I, I deal with some of the darkest aspects of human behavior. Um, so I never really pushed it, but she's, she's a, got a knack for it. And I think she's really interested. She's also interested in astrophysics, 16 year old kid. She takes astrophysics. She said, daddy, I think I can double major. I said, you could do anything you want. I promise you that. <laughs> wow. Holy right. smokes. Yeah. Hey, I want to ask you guys, can we do a, a, a brief Q and a, and, and Kristen, Kristen, I know this is uh, kind of your specialty. I mean, you used to do, uh, I think you used to do a podcast, right? Where you'd kind of just have open calls and stuff. Well, I did a radio show right up until COVID, yeah, a call and talk show, where we did this all the time. Um, and then once COVID hit the station, KDK, um, great people, great station, but they weren't having anybody that wasn't full time come in. So, um, but yeah, I still do my emotional management podcast, the, the one minute one. And the one with Ray Lewis, we, we haven't done that in a while, but um, I have 100 episodes of that one. So maybe we can ask you a few random questions here, just Give off the me. cuff here. I want to ask you just real quick, one of my questions is, is, is anger genetic? Um, how much does genetics play into that, or is it individual? Well, one time I had uh, sitting with this group of guys, 30-some guys convicted of violent crimes in the room, and uh, we started talking about how their their uh, their culture played a role into it, and what I watched was I had them fill out this this paper, and what I watched was every single guy blamed his attributed his culture to why he had this anger. Well, I'm Italian, so I have this. Well, I'm Irish. Well, I have this. Well, I have. This. And I said, listen, we do notice that it's not just it's everywhere. That's why my my line I've made my entire career out of is there are two kinds of people in the world. There are people who have issues and dead people. So, so that's one thing. And the other thing is this, we watch it, we learn. It's a learned behavior. If yeah. I learn when I'm, my parents get mad, they throw something across the room. Then I go, when I'm mad, I throw something across the room. And I think that's right. Right. Yes. right. Yeah. Which I think can be confused for genetic. You're actually being brought up in that environment, which is causing you to act that way. Exactly. Mm. What else um, you got, JP? <clears throat> I got, man, I got so many questions here. I'll just ask a couple more. Um, okay, I got, um, got the chief here's a, question. Here's a question. question. Chief Kevin Mullis of the uh, Malden, Massachusetts Police Department. I said, I told him we were having you on. I said, Chief, you got any questions about anger management or anything? He said, Yeah, I got, I got a few. So um, <laughs> <laughs> let's see. Here's something, and I don't know, this is kind of broad, but just, and this is kind of in current events right now that a lot of these 
police officers are dealing with. But any advice for situations where the person encountered has a broad generalized anger uh, or hatred towards all police officers? I mean, how does, you know, you're a cop, you roll up on somebody that's just pissed and pissed about everything, especially because you're there and you're a cop and they don't like cops. Yeah. I mean, look, I do train uh, with trainings with police officers going down to Texas here um, to do a, a critical incident uh, training uh, with them, with the Texas police department. Um, and here's the number one thing I say is when I talk about that, it really does come down to listen, validate and explore options. That's what we're practicing. So you come on the scene and somebody doesn't like you right away, instead of trying to defend that, instead of trying to show them that they're wrong, try to show them something different, listen to them. So, I mean, listen, I walked around the, this one uh, unit where I created this program for yesterday in this maximum security prison and majority of interactions, inmates were gaining a lot from the program, this and that. But I came up to one guy and he said, ah, oh, it's a bunch of BS. I said, okay, cool. Tell me about it. Tell me what you don't like. And I let him talk. And like, I listened to him. And after I listened to him, I validated him. And it's kind of sucks to have to be in a program you got to be in. You know, and then I listened, I validated, then we started exploring options. By the time we were done with the conversation, the guy had turned around his perspective on it because it wasn't about me saying, you have to adopt my cartoon world and say, you, you should like this. Listen, you might hate it. That's cool. Like you be where you are. And so I, what I teach officers to do is to come in and really focus on meeting people where they are. Um, probably the easiest metaphor that I can share is it's I call it the fool on the mountain and imagine if there's a fool he's supposed to lead a bunch of people up to the top of a mountain so he runs up there he gets to the top of the mountain nobody's with him everybody else is down the bottom of the mountain so he starts screaming at him you should be up here with me I had it hard I started down there and I got up here and he's telling them all the stuff that they should have they can't even see him let alone hear him and they call him the fool on the mountain because the truth is if he really wants to help those people and guide them he has to have the discipline to leave where he is and go meet them where they are. Um, right. So, you know, that's a simple metaphor, but that's the truth, man. So I, what I tell officers to do is get out. They start saying, after you, this and that. Listen, man, you're angry. You, you have a right to be angry. You don't have to like me. Like, I'm, I'm here to try to help, help this situation out. And I'm cool if you don't see it that way. Because what happens is when we build the resistance, now people get to amp that up more. But we circumvent that fight or flight response when they, so it's the basic Aikido concept of push-pull. I call it verbal Aikido. They push, and instead of pushing back, you pull. I hate you. Okay, cool. You, you have a right to hate me. You can feel however you want to feel. See, I think, here's the thing, JP. Like, a lot of people say they put lip service to don't take things personally. But you actually, you have to actually train to not be able to take things personally. I just genuinely don't take stuff personally. Like, you have to desensitize yourself yeah. to it to the you know and if you're not used to it it it'll cut you deep exactly yeah exactly yeah. that's a that's a good one now marty just said desensitize that's actually one of the questions i wanted to ask you uh to skip around a little bit um where was my question here let's see what what um where is it you know, with, with the internet, and, and we often talk about all this. Um, in fact, you touched on it when, when we were younger. You know, we didn't have the internet. We had time to be bored and think and invent and, and all that stuff. Well, now we've got the internet. Kids have all these video games and all this stuff. 
Um, we have texting, you know, email, all that stuff. So there's less personal contact now. Before, when you wanted to talk with somebody, if you didn't talk to them on the phone, it was you talk to them in person. There's a lot less of that now going on. Um, how much has that desensitized society? Um, because, you know, we've all had these, especially if you own a business, you've all had these keyboard cowboys that just get on there and blast away and see what, say whatever they want. They wouldn't say that if they were two feet from me. They just yep. wouldn't do it. So I think we've been desensitized in, and that's one of the ways. And another way might be, you know, maybe with all these video games and all these, these other things and less face-to-face -face interaction, is it making humanity easier to not understand the repercussions when we commit a, like, uh, you know, a violent act or something like they don't realize how much that's going to hurt somebody or their family or something like that. Talk that's about right. that. So I'll give you two different, those are two different questions. I'll give you two different answers on this. First one is maybe not the, wasn't the keyboard cowboys or the keyboard cowards um, aren't uh, desensitized. They are emboldened. They would never say that. Look, when we all grew up, there were people that you, you just say something you were getting beaten up and that, that's that's a fact that's so all yeah we learn we had to learn right away you, you know and i think that was you know for me that's that's the way i learned um and then the other aspect so then they get in an uh, anonymity so they sit back behind this i can say whatever i want to say and they get emboldened to say it but it's cowardice because they can't say it they don't even have their name on it their real name on the account let alone you know they would never be able to have the assertiveness so I wouldn't even give that energy. Like I would, like if you ever look on my YouTube, I have this YouTube channel and I mean, people all over the world watch this thing. We've got 105,000 subscribers. So there's people all over the world watch it. And sometimes people say 99% nice stuff. Sometimes people just get angry and say whatever. And if you ever look at my comment section, maybe the day I post it, I'll, I'll, I'll answer questions that, that day. But I'll say to them, hey man, listen, I'm, sounds like you're struggling. I wish you much peace. Like I'm never going to get into it with somebody who's, I You'll never about, win. Yeah, I mean, first of all, what, it's, so it's that's cowardice, and and they're emboldened. The other question you have around desensitization, I think you guys would find this fascinating. So they actually do some trainings with um, soldiers who have PTSD by putting them in uh, replicating in therapeutic environments, putting them in first person shooter games where are they're so realistic these games that they're using them to help talk through the soldiers and desense and, and help them work through that post-traumatic stress disorder. That's how realistic they are. So now think about this. We know we master what we practice. We know that before World War I, fewer than 10% of the soldiers could look at somebody point blank range and actually pull the trigger because they realize I'm killing another human being. Yeah. But by Vietnam, more than 80% of the people could look somebody and, and what whites of their eyes and pull the trigger. Well, we look at what did they do to change the training? Well, one thing they did was this. They used to shoot at uh, targets, well, you know, the circle, red circle targets. Well, then they trained them to human cutouts. Now they practice shooting the human cutouts so they get good at it. All right, now let's fast forward to today's world. We're talking about games that are so realistic, the US military can use them to help uh, their soldiers you know, come back, they have to be understand that environment in a different context. They're that realistic. 
and you probably got what an eight-year-old downstairs practicing shooting somebody over and over and over again and you think that i mean like in the 90s when i started it might have been a conversation i wonder if these games promote violence in 2022 oh my goodness it's a one-to-one correlation absolutely i'm not saying it makes somebody go out and shoot people what i am saying the people who are more prone to violence if they're practicing constantly looking yeah. at a realistic person and shooting it they're training themselves except they don't have the self-discipline of control that you learn in the military or in in martial arts or any of that stuff and so we are preparing many young people to commit acts of you know this horrific violence and we've seen the proliferation of these acts all over the country so yeah absolutely I i would i would also i would also add this it also ingrains um when you play the first person shooter games and they are realistic it ingrains an intuitive spontaneous response if you have a weapon in your hand be it real or imagined, and something or someone jumps out on you, you were taught you you put that weapon on that That's threat it. and you fire immediately because any hesitation and they will fire on you and you will be dead. So yeah. you, you have that ingraining, right? And then yeah. all of a sudden you put a real weapon in somebody's hand and it's... Um, you're better at it. I tell you what, you're a better shooter. So you're, you're absolutely right, Marty. That is it a hundred percent. And then sometimes parents will come in and they'll say, well, look, my kid played violent video games and he wasn't violent. Okay, that's fine. I'm not saying that, but what about there are kids who are not being supervised playing these games. And then let me tell you one other aspect, one other aspect. And again, I love, I feel blessed to live in a time where I don't have to talk about this as a theoretical perspective, I can cite neuroscience. So what happens is when we are, when you're talking about post-traumatic stress, we're talking about a part of the brain called the amygdala or amygdalae because there are two of them. So the amygdalae are the center of our fight or flight response. And the amygdalae actually increase or expand in size when they are heightened to anticipate trauma constantly. Now, if we see that happens in the military, when they're over there, they're watching this horrific stuff. Now you put kids in these very realistic games and you have this happen. And what you find is children struggle with more anxiety, more depression. And I believe these factors contribute to it. So no, I'm not saying that a kid plays a video game and runs out and shoots people. That's not it. What I'm saying is if you give a child a game, no supervision, don't talk to them about it. They are practicing with repetition how to do exactly what you just said, Marty. And then on top of that, we'll see increases in anxiety and depression. And again, anecdotally, and I have over 20,000 hours of clinical experience, but anecdotally, I have seen young people have, when they when I talk to their parents, I talk to the kids about it and they actually will uh, curtail their use of it, their anxiety, depression goes down. And I've watched this happen. So yeah, we gotta be mindful of what we're putting in our buckets, that's for sure. Okay. One more I want to ask, and this is from the chief too, but this also ties into, I have the, have the same question. Um, he says, are there things that a police officer can do in the course of their tour of duty that can help create and maintain a good mental attitude? And I, I have to reflect on the time I went to Virginia Beach with uh, Marty and Jim. You know, there was a time we were hanging out with these tier one spec ops guys 
And it reality just kind of hits you once in a while and you go, do I realize who I'm with? I mean, this is the best of the best in, in the world. And there was one point where we all went to the mess hall together and, you know, after, after some training, it was uh, lunchtime. So we all went over there and we're sitting in the mess hall, sitting at a table, having lunch with these guys. And they're talking about their kids and, and we're all talking about our families and all this stuff. And the coolest guys in the world, you wouldn't ever imagine what they have to do for a living, what they've seen in their, in their lives. And, you, you know, most of these guys are pretty young late twenties, early thirties, the things that they've seen and gone through will never uh, compare or even have a, a, a smidge of, of comparison to that. So how do they, is there certain techniques, compartmentalization that they use or, you know, that, you know, cause this law enforcement and, and, and all that kind of falls in, in line. How do you keep a positive attitude when you're dealing with the worst stuff on the face of the earth. Yeah. I mean, listen, I love this question. And I, what I, what I tell officers all the time from police officers, to corrections officers is this, first of all, when people have harsh judgments for how police officers do their job, or when people have harsh judgments for how corrections officers do their job, they have those judgments because they have no idea what it's like to have your life on the line constantly. Police officers have to go through a day where they don't know if they go out to a domestic violence call, if someone's going to be pulling out a gun on them. They have no idea. So they are constantly in life-threatening situations. So I think it's extremely important to recognize and validate that because these whole quick fix answers that people have who've never experienced that stuff, they just, they're just they just on a different And plan. also, Chris, this is something that um, was pointed out to us. Everything they do is on camera. Right. Yeah. Right. You're right. So they're always on. They're always on. And so I, what I, when I'm working with officers, I try to really spend time validating that fact that the people, people just don't have any idea what they're going through. And then I say this, and, and this is where we come back to, we talked about John Wetzel. He constantly talks about wellness and then wellness is not a priority for corrections officers. Wellness is not a priority for police officers. And yet they are asked to do this tremendous yeah. act constantly. So right. why not focus on training them on how to handle wellness? And wellness doesn't have to be, you know, going to a spa with cucumbers in your eyes or whatever. whatever <laughs> like, it doesn't have to be that. It, wellness is about taking care of our minds, taking care of our communication. You know, I can't tell you how many officers will reach out to me and be like, man, doc, after I after you helped me out with how to talk to my wife, like I've had so much less stress in my life because I know how to communicate. Yeah. And Chris, that's, what, that's the gift that we can give them is we can give them not only physiological wellness, but the psychological wellness that goes along with having the, the physiological wellness, right? Sound body, sound mind, more balanced, more centered, you know, naturally, if somebody gets into the training, I think it's only natural that the nutrition cleans itself up sort of on its own, you know, get off the intoxicants, you know, and all of a sudden get uh, detoxed a little bit. They start feeling healthier. They have a more balanced perspective because they've got that training thing going and uh, they're more balanced humans that are better able to deal with the stresses that they are going to encounter. Definitely. Definitely. True. Yeah. 
Uh, but I just remember that going through my mind at lunch. I'm sitting there with these, these guys at the table and thinking they're all smiles. They're talking about their little kids and birthday parties and stuff. And I'm like, I, if I was thrown into those situations, I don't know that I, I'd be just <laughs> F you, F you. I, I don't know how I'd act, but you're talking it, about by the time they get to that point, JP, they're 20 years in, you know, yeah. not 20, but at least 10 to get to that point, you know, and, and, and look, let's, some let's of those be guys honest, are, it, it takes it. a certain kind of a person to be able to, to do that. I mean, you got to have a lot of different things going for you that most of us don't have. I think. Um, listen, guys, I mean, that's two hours. Yeah, I mean, you yeah, know, we, we should probably wrap around. this up. This has been awesome. Got to have you back on again. Got to have you back on again. Yeah, absolutely. You guys, I mean, you guys are definitely uh, uh, just, to me, it's just, uh, I, I feel like it's family. Like, I just, the second I met you, I can tell it's a vibe. So I appreciate you. All. Thank you for having uh, me on. Love look, absolutely. Look, and look, and look, look, what, look what happens with immersion and the phenomena of time compression, because we just experienced it. Yeah, time flew. Oh, I know. Uh, two hours, it seems like, uh, you know, maybe 20, 25 minutes. That's it. And why was that? Because we were each of us immersed in what we were doing collectively. Yeah. Yes. And we got passion for about what we're talking about. And um, JP wasn't thinking about what he was going to have after... I'm, no, no, I'm thinking about food now. So now I know it's time to quit. It's, it's lunchtime. But I want to, Dr. Uh, Conti, I want to mention uh, your website. You got a couple of different things that uh, we want everybody to check out. First of all, your website is Dr. and it's DR, the abbreviation, uh, Dr. Christian Conti. And Conti is C O N T E.com. And then um, you've also got a YouTube channel, which I was checking out. Like I said, it's got a lot of, of, of nice little five-minute clips, little motivational clips, uh, helpful clips that uh, I, I bet a lot of people look at before they start their day and before they get in the car and go to work. So check that out, which is um, Dr. Christian Conti, same as uh, website. So just uh, search for him on YouTube. And he's also got... Uh, his latest book. This is your eighth book, isn't it? Yeah, actually, there's, there's a new one now. Even the 21 days change your life. But yeah, okay, but okay, and uh, nine books. Nine books, and so the the one of the last ones, I think, the eighth one is walking through anger, and then the 21 days to change your life. So both of those can be found on Amazon. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, walking through anger is available as an audible too, uh, audible.com. So if somebody's uh, likes to listen to books or if you're driving, I saw that and they have a clip that you can listen to just to see how, you know, kind of get a feel for it. And uh, I, I did that too. So that's interesting. I think that I think the, uh, the time that it would take to go through it is like eight and a half hours or something. So you listen to little clips uh, every evening or whatever. I like books on tape myself. So I, I kind of was honored when they asked me to read it for it because i was like but yeah i was going in the studio for a couple of days to get it That's done cool. yeah and i mean if it's great if you're going on a drive or something or you have a long commute in the morning i mean perfect yeah. um and then check out marty's weekly column raw with marty gallagher at ironcompany.com you can visit his latest article the world's strongest man and this is where you'll see carl the groundskeeper um 
And Marty, what was really funny at the end of this one, as I was editing this thing, I was laughing because you're talking about you're giving this play by play when you're going up to the bar when you're like what 15 and what's running oh, man, through your I was head. Like, I like 13. <laughs> and what yeah, you were on the wide world of sports. Oh yeah, man. I'm yeah. I took everybody right there too, didn't I? Yes, you I was there. Right there I, with me. I was That's visualizing it. The agony <laughs> perfectly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The agony of defeat. But I did. I wasn't going to let Khrushchev get away with it. No, man, you can't do oh, that. Oh no, you did man. not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was great, man. So uh, check that out. The world's strongest man. That's that's going up on our website. And then, um, of course, Marty is available on Instagram at the Marty Gallagher. And uh, you can also check out his uh, his and his wife Stacy's website, functional-strength.org. With, uh, we like to, as with Jim. Yeah, as with Jim Steele's website, we like to uh, point out that it's a potpourri of information, uh, even with uh, you know recipes and and cool you stuff like that. Life coaching, uh, you name it, we're there. Yes. And for all your gym equipment and flooring needs, please check out ironcompany.com. Need financing for your home, studio, or commercial gym? Maybe you do, Jim Steele. Give me a call and I'll set you up. Uh, apply online today and get approval in just minutes. What's Steele's uh, latest article? Yeah, speaking of Jim Steele. Little uh, things. Little things. Go into that just for a second. It's just little tips that, that you know, you always – think everybody knows what you know and you realize that the little things that you've learned over the years of training most people don't know that stuff um yeah. and so i was just was thinking the other day you know five or six things that i could really help somebody out with if they're just starting out or if they've been doing it a long time and you know just this and like i was saying earlier just as simple as finding your your press grip how do you find that you know you're teaching yeah. yourself or somebody else how to find your press grip i go mm -hmm. into that just little things, foot width in the stand, in the squat, um, being prepared like it's an interview the, ne the next day, you know, things like that. Little things that we assume people already know, but maybe they don't. Yeah, there was a, and the way I got that was, you know, the, I was coaching at Gardner Webb. I was a defensive line coach, and James Harbison, who played in the USFL and coached at Clemson, Alabama, Mississippi State afterwards, he was my roommate on the road. And he used to always say, big dog, it's the little things. It's the little things. Mm -hmm. He would say it to his wide receivers, yep. you know, see that little inch step you just took? That's going to cost yeah. you. Yeah. You're coming off the ball and you, you're not, your foot is not touching his foot like this. It's going to cost you. Jimmy, tell him about Karwaski and his, uh, what he spends on just the bar, right? The, just the setup, right? Oh, my God, man. I mean, honestly, Kirk, it could be just one whole two or three hour slice of time when we're with the tier one guys on just the walking and the approach to the bar and where to put your hands. I mean, Kirk is like that. I mean, I told you that we walked into a meet and he was there and he asked uh, my training partner, hey, what's your rack height? She goes, oh, I haven't thought about it. And he went crazy. He was like, you haven't thought about it. You got to know your rack height. You, you, this is important. This is, you know, and I was like, All right, man. But, you know, it, it's he just made her cry. That. 
<laughs> depth of no, is, is rack height on your your newest uh no it's not, not it's not rack height, but, <laughs> you might have but, uh, to add another one there but uh yeah it was, oh there's so many of them i mean you know it's the way you turn your wrist when you're doing a curl i mean all these little things that when combined you know uh you know one of them is about how we talked about this the other day you only have so many bad reps in you so you train your low back to to be perfect you know to get your erectors standing out in bold relief so when I you do have that. a bad rep, your your body can withstand that. You know, you only have so many bad reps in you. That's, That's right. Great. That's right. So there you go. T-shirt, right, Marty? Uh, a little too long. A little too long. We have to turn <laughs> it sideways. Back. We can have run it around to, to the back too. We could yeah. we could make it like a piano tie. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. All right. And Jim Steele's website is bossbarbell.com. B-A-S barbell dot com for uh newsletters articles uh hunting exploration trips uh duck calls you name it right you got it all all right guys all right thanks guys thanks christian all right man thank, thank you. you very much christian that was a blast all right i appreciate you guys tremendously thank you all right man see ya thank you.